Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message very simply, very simply is this, A Dangerous Faith. A dangerous faith. Now, as we pick up today in Acts chapter 14, just to give you guys a little review, if you remember last week, we read about the great Apostle Paul uh, and his involvement in the healing of this man who was crippled from birth. You remember the story? Uh, Paul and Barnabas were there, but really Paul was the main actor there, um, speaking, and this man who's crippled from birth. He he looked at Paul, Paul looked at him, and then this man who had never walked, he leaps up on his feet, he begins to walk. Now, how many of y'all would love to see a miracle like that happen today? Come on, can we pray that God would do that type of miracle today? Y'all know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, don't you? Y'all know that, right? And so if he did it then, don't you think he might do it again today? Yeah, yeah, I think we should pray that way. But in the text that we're, we're studying This miracle happens, and you guys remember the story. Um, The crowd saw this man walking, and the crowd thought that Paul and Barnabas were the Greek gods who came to visit this region. You remember the story? And and the crowds go berserk thinking that Paul and Barnabas are are, are gods, and so the, the, the priest of Zeus comes forth. He wants to offer sacrifice to, to these so-called gods. And uh, you, you remember what Paul and Barnabas said in response. Paul and Barnabas read the story. They, they saw what was going on. They could read what was happening, though they didn't understand the language. And uh, Paul, Paul and, and Barnabas said, no, no, don't, don't do that. Don't offer a sacrifice to us. We are just what? Just men. We're just mere men. We have a nature like, like y'all's. Don't do this. <laughs> now, a lot of modern pastors would say something like, Stop. Stop all that recognition. Stop that. Stop. I don't really want that. I don't really need that. So would y'all please stop giving me all that credit? Come on. Would y'all stop? Y'all know what I'm talking about? A lot lot of modern pastors would have not refused the honorarium. They would have received it gladly. But I love this quote as we get down to business today from a New Testament scholar. Uh, His name is D.A. Carson. Listen carefully to what he says. He says, most of us go through life worrying that people will think too little of us. Paul worried people would think too much of him. That's powerful, isn't it? We go through life trying to boost our, po- our, our, our portfolio to do our best to be respectable for people so that people will think well of us. Well, Paul lived the other way. Paul was concerned that people would think too, too, too much of him. And so he went out of his way to push the credit and the honor and the glory to whom? To God. Yes, Paul had to be a good steward of what God had given him. But Paul says, from him... Through him and to him are what? All things. So, so Paul lived this way. He lived this way. And he did everything he could to push the credit back to God. And how many of y'all know that's where it, deserves, that's where it needs to be? But, but, but here we see in this text, let's pick it up in verse 19. 
Luke tells us this, but some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, as we see here in this passage, and we're going to see in more detail, Paul went from being honored to being hated all in one chapter. And how many of y'all know things can change very quickly for the believer? Isn't that a picture of our lives? But, but here's really the truth. That a lot of people are going to say some really good things. And not all of the good things that they say are true. How I many of y'all know people are going to say some good things? The good things that people say about us are okay. But listen, don't, I said it last Sunday. Don't let people's praise go to your head. And don't let their criticism go to your... At the end of the day, we're not as good as people think. And we're not as bad as some people think. At the end of the day, all that matters is really what God thinks. So let's live that way. Thank you for the praise. Thank you. Oh, not, whoa, not so much for that. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> but, but thank you for the criticism because how many of you know criticism will drive you closer to God? Thank you for the criticism. I needed some of that because I was getting a little too... Th- how many of you know the gospel is the great leveler? It brings the lowly up and it brings the proud down. Thank you for the criticism. That that just made me draw close to God. Thank you. Thank you. But at the end of the day, all that matters is what God thinks about us. And let's let him define who we are and what we are. Do I have any friends today who believe that's true? So, So here we see Paul going from being honored to being hated. And what I want you to see is they literally stoned Paul. Now, raise your hand if you, if you think you've gone through a little persecution as a Christian. Let me see your hands. Don't, I mean, be proud about it. Come on, wear it like a badge. Let me see your hands all across. Okay, all right. Uh, well, well, Paul, as we see here, well, he, he got stoned. Like, with stones. Listen to this. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned him and dragged him out of the city, thinking that he was dead. Now, like, this is barbaric stuff. You know, if this had happened in our own day, I'm sure that people would have their iPhones out. How many of y'all know we live in a sadistic, cruel culture? Had their iPhones out. Video on the whole thing, live streaming on Facebook. How many of y'all know that get millions of shares? Video on the whole thing. But, but listen, they stoned Paul with, with rocks. And in the, in, the old, in the old covenant days, I mean, they would, they would put people down on the ground, tie them down, and then just begin to pelt them with stones and rocks. Probably here with Paul, it wasn't that type. It was probably a mob that came against Paul and then just surrounded him. And think about this grabbed stones and just pelted Paul, hitting him on the face, hitting him on the back of the head, hitting him all around his body to the point where the Apostle Paul dropped to the ground and they thought he was dead, but he was unconscious. I mean, just picture this with me for just a second. Think about how brutal this was. They, they literally stoned him almost 
to the point of death. But look, here's, here's what I want you to see. They thought he was dead, but then some disciples gathered around him. The Apostle Paul gets back up. Then he goes into the city and then leaves with Barnabas just after and continues to minister the gospel. Now think about how tenacious this man is. Now, most of us here cannot compute with this type of persecution, can we? We can't even compute with this. We're trying to picture it in our minds. I mean, this is brutal stuff. Now, once again, most pastors, you know, today, if this happened to them, they'd say, well, you know, after you got stoned, I mean, get up off the ground and you go straight to Lords and then, you know, come out of the hospital and then call their assistant and, hey, Amy, book me a trip to Hawaii. You know, whew, that was a close call. Whew, I mean, I mean, that, that was dangerous stuff. I mean, I'm glad I made it. I mean, I know a lot of modern pastors would have immediately uh, booked a massage, maybe gone to laboratory therapy for some therapy, maybe called, maybe called, maybe uh, called a, a sabbatical to go on vacation for a while. Whoa, that was a close call. Better not do that again. Are y'all with me? Why, why do we think that way? Because listen to me, here in America, I'm not picking on, on anybody except everybody. <laughs> Listen, one of the greatest hindrances to the advancement of the kingdom of God is our love for comfort and our love for safety and our concern for caution. Isn't it? But see, Paul, Paul got back up after he'd been stoned and basically said, that's all you got? And he continued to minister. Now think where the church in America would be today if we had that type of boldness and tenacity. Think where we would be today in America if we had that type of mindset. Oh, you persecuted me? Thank you. That's just drawing me closer to God. That's just making me stronger so I can continue to preach the gospel and make disciples. Let me, let me build this for about who knows how long. We cannot even compute with this. And I'm not here to shame you. I'm just saying we live in a totally different world. In this sterilized, watered-down world we live in when it comes to Christianity. I mean, we think being sold out for Jesus means you come to church three times in a row. That is, three Sundays in a row. Am I stepping on your toes? We've heard it said, the proof is in the pudding. You ever heard that said? The proof is in the gumbo. (laughs) Now I'm preaching. What what do we mean by that? The proof is in the pudding. It means, well, just taste it, experience it, and you'll see for yourself. But see, for the Apostle Paul, the better way to say it, the the, the proof's not in the pudding. The proof is in the pain. You want to know that I'm, I'm, I'm sold out for Jesus? You want to know that I'm, I'm the real deal, holy field? It, it's not in, the, in me walking with Jesus in times of blessing. It's me walking with Jesus in times of pain. That's the proof. I think Paul would say that, that I'm the real deal. I think that's what he would say. And in, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, 22-28, that's exactly where Paul goes. Because see, at the church at Corinth, there were some false apostles who had risen up and they were, they were challenging Paul's authority. They were challenging his credentials. And they said all kinds of things about the apostle Paul. But one of them was that he wasn't a trained speaker. 
So, Paul, you know, you're not that eloquent. I mean, you haven't been trained in rhetoric. And they, they made these accusations against Paul, basically saying, Paul, you're not really an apostle. You're not really like us. Well, here's what Paul said in response to these false apostles in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 22. He asked, he said, are, to the Corinthians, are they Hebrews? He says, so am I. Are they these false apostles? Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Look at verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. Look at this. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Here it is. Do the math. Verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea all across, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship and through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst often without food. Food and cold and exposure. And apart from all of that, these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who talks that way? He's talking like a madman, but he's like, I need to talk this way so that you guys can get the proper perspective concerning the marks of a true apostle. Because y'all know today we need, we need this correction, this adjustment. Because, again, and I'm just I'm stepping on some toes today. I might offend a few. But listen, in the modern church today, and, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of some of this too, that in the modern church, you know, the marks of a true pastor are what? Well, that we can speak well. You've got to be able to move a crowd. You've got to be able to make them laugh and make them cry and in about an hour say goodbye. <laughs> I think when Winky said that, it was like 20 minutes say goodbye. Winky Pratney. But it's the ability to preach and to teach and the marks of a true apostle and a true pastor these days would be, well, look, look at my Facebook following. Look at how many people follow me. Look at all the degrees that we have. Look, look at all these accomplishments that we have. How many of y'all know everything I just mentioned, all oh, that's good? How many of y'all know? Y'all better talk to me. How many of y'all know that's all good? Yeah. All that's good. But see, for the apostle Paul, the marks of a true apostle were not hanging on his wall. The marks of a true apostle were laid across his back from the suffering that he endured for Christ. Because anybody can get a degree, but not everybody is going to go through hell for the cause of Christ. Anybody can build a platform with the right lighting and the right words, give them the script. Anybody with a speaking gift can do that. But not everybody is willing to go through the suffering and the pain that the Apostle Paul went through to prove their commitment to him. Are y'all tracking? So Paul, how do we know you're a real apostle? Well, I think Paul might have said something like this. You show me yours. I'll show you mine. You take off your garment, let me see your back. I'll take off my garment and I'll show you mine. He had bruises, he had scars all over his body. And for Paul, those were the marks of a true apostle. Hopefully your respect level for this man just went through the roof. But listen to me carefully. Paul had 
a dangerous faith. We pray for a life free from trouble. Paul's obedience to Jesus constantly got him into it. We pray, Lord, deliver us from trouble. That's okay. But Paul lived this kind of faith, this kind of obedience. His faith constantly put him on the front lines of the kingdom of God where the fighting was fiercest. That's how we live. That's how he ministered. He faced the prospect of death on a regular basis. And that's how he lived. Any day could be my last day for the cause of Christ. And Paul never played it safe. Let me ask you today. Are you playing it safe with Jesus? Do you have a safe faith? Or a dangerous faith? How many of y'all know? If Jesus had played it safe, he would have never died on that cross. If Jesus had played it safe, he would have avoided the Jews, he would have avoided the Romans. Jesus had a dangerous call on his life. And that dangerous call led to his death and his demise on the cross. Think if the early disciples had played it safe, had been content with just coming to church on Sunday in a nice comfortable place and gathering together and and just gathering and just had played it safe. In other words, think if they had never gone outside their comfort zone. Think if they had never gotten outside of their own people. Think if they had never preached the gospel. Think if they had never stood against Caesar and against the principalities of this world. Think if they had a cautious faith. The book of Acts would only be two chapters long. But because they had a dangerous faith, because they had a bold faith, because they were sold out to Christ, they were obedient to his cause. We have 28 chapters, page after page of the works of God through these men advancing the kingdom and changing the world. Come on, y'all. If we're going to change the world for Christ, if we're going to advance the kingdom of God, we've got to get a dangerous faith. Because if you're taking notes, you can write this down. God has not called us to be careful. He has called us to be faithful. He has not called us to be careful, Christians. No, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and violent men and women take it by force. We're not fighting people with our fists and with guns and bats, we're fighting the principalities of this world. We're fighting not on the streets, but on our knees, engaging the kingdom of darkness, advancing the kingdom of God. And it takes some of this. we got to be like a bull in a china shop, getting with God. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Send me. Even if it kills me, send me. That's what changes the world. That's what brings God glory. Not sideline Christianity, golf claps and worship. Not nice sets on a Sunday morning, not nice buildings, though we love all that. It's dangerous faith. God has not called us to be careful. He's called us to be faithful. Douglas Wilson said this, Desperate times call for faithful men and not careful men. He writes, The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men lauding them for their courage. But come on, give me some, give me some faithful men 
in Midtown. Give me some faithful men in Lafayette. Give me some faithful men who love God and hate sin and will change the world. Give me some bold men and women. And y'all know God never needs a majority. Because a man with God is always in the majority. This is what we need. Faithful men and women who aren't sold out to safe. People with dangerous faith that forces us onto the front lines of the kingdom of God. That's what God's after. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Faith in God, contrary to what you've heard. Faith in God doesn't keep you from the fiery furnace. Your faith in God secures your reservation in it. It ensures when you trust God and you believe God and you're obedient to his word, you can rest assured that you're going to be right in the middle of tribulation because that's where the battle's being fought. And if you don't believe me, just ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't believe me, well, just ask Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, Christian missionary to Ecuador, died at 28. He, with other missionaries, went there, believed that they could reach the, the Aka Indians, prayed for them, labored for them, finally had a moment where they engaged them. In Jim, the story goes, I read in one account that Jim Elliott actually, as this missionary, actually had a gun. And when these, these Indians came out with spears to get ready to spear him, he, he actually could have used his gun. He had it with him, but he had already made up his mind with the others that, that he would never shoot and kill someone he was, that, that he was trying to win for Jesus. And see, it wasn't his gun that made Jim Elliott dangerous. It was his commitment to go to the mission field and to look people in the eye and share the love of God, even at the risk of death that made him dangerous. That's what made him dangerous. And at 28, Jim Elliott was speared to death for the cause of Christ on the mission field. My prayer is that each and every one of you here, beginning with me, including all of you here, that we would have dangerous faith. Why is it dangerous? Well, right now, presently in America, it's not dangerous because you might die. That's coming. Claim it as your own. It's dangerous because some things in your life will have to die. Like our ego. Like our love for comfort. Like our reputation and our respectability before the world. It means you sharing Jesus at work. It's going to cost you something. Because somebody's going to look at you like you're a fool. The fact you go to this church, and because we're not Catholic, and we love our Catholic community... Some people are going to persecute you just for that. Can I get a witness? Standing boldly on the word. Living out your biblical moral convictions will draw fire from every side. And if you're trying to play it safe, if you're being cautious, the kingdom of God will not advance any farther than your obedience. 
Think about that for a second. My prayer is that each and every one of us would have dangerous faith. Because you see, it's, it's that kind of faith that drives you before God. Drives you to your knees in prayer. Come on, how many of y'all are praying these safe prayers? There's a place for some of that. Lord, keep me, preserve me. How many of y'all know that's a good thing to pray? Psalm 91, it's up in the Bible. I'm praying that over myself, over my children. But, but it's this. It's Lord, keep me and preserve me as I seek to advance your cause. Lord, use me in my generation like David. David served God's purpose in his own generation and then he passed on. My prayer is God, use me, protect me, deliver me from evil, do all of that. And then when you're done with me, bring me home. Because how many of y'all know the promises of God are that he will protect you? How many of y'all know that's true? Until he doesn't. Until he doesn't. But I love Paul. Even if God doesn't deliver me, Paul says it. He talks about the pressure he faced in Asia. These things happened to me, so I would not rely on myself, but on God who raises the dead. How many of y'all know for believers, for us, it's a win-win thing to live as Christ, to die as gain. Come on in there. Y'all with me today? And I know it's hunting season. I know the sun's out. We're going to go shopping. But I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about doing something big for Jesus with dangerous faith. Because dangerous faith stirs the pot, it raises the bar, and it calls out the status quo. That's what dangerous faith does. Paul had a dangerous faith, y'all. It drove him to the point of being stoned. So Paul didn't play it safe. He had a dangerous commitment to the gospel. Listen to the words carefully that kept him radically dependent upon God. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church later, years later. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. Are y'all with me? For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now for starters here, I love that Paul said that he didn't want the Corinthians to be unaware of what he went through. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty vulnerable. I don't want you to be unaware. I'll state it positively. I want you to be aware of the mess I went through in Asia. I want you to know, and I think Paul, he, he wants to bring his audience in to his scenario so that, so that they can hear his story, to hear what he had been through, so that they can see his attitude and to imitate it and emulate it so, so that the, the same work that was, was going on in Paul's life would be turned around and work in their lives. I think that's why Paul's addressing this. I want you to know what happened to me. God broke out and he saved me. He delivered me. I want you to know the same could be true for you. I think he's writing 
to share his burden so that they would be encouraged and so that they would be uplifted. But, but it's been said, listen to this carefully, it's been said that we, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people with our weaknesses. Isn't that true? Oh, I want you to know about my scars. I want you to know about the mess I've been through. I want you to know, not, not for self-pity, but, but because I want you to know what I went through because, because in it all, God was with me. God was with me. And if he's with me, he's also going to be with you. So it's like I could just hear Paul, feel Paul saying, he says he was so burdened beyond his strength that he despaired of life itself. You ever been there? Maybe because of a miscarriage. Maybe because of a son or a daughter who's disappointed you. Maybe because you fill in the blank. You felt so burdened. You ever felt the sentence of death? You said, what does that mean? It means that you're, you're sick on the inside. Your stomach is in knots. And you, you are so depressed and so down that you see no hope at all. You ever been there? It can be because of a physical threat like Paul was facing. In terms of people, it can be cancer. It can be you name it. Paul said he was so burdened beyond his strength that he felt the sentence of death. I was reflecting on this earlier and I was thinking about Paul thanking God for Paul's vulnerability. And I love the reason given here. Paul said, all these things happen. I felt all this. We felt all this. And the reason it all happened was so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. How many of y'all know one of our greatest weaknesses in the American church is that we rely too much on our own strength. In other words, our greatest pitfall is that we think in our own human strength we've got what it takes to get through. And oftentimes God drives us, our circumstances drive us to the point where we are despairing of life itself. We get pushed into trials. We get pushed to the point where we are depleted of our resources and we think that that's awful. But no, 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 no. That's where God wants you to be because it's in that place where you stop relying on yourself and you start placing your trust in God who raises the dead. Why am I going through this? Why? I can't answer all the the reasons, but I can say this. It's at least this. So you would not rely on yourself, but on God who raises the dead. Paul was like, even if I die, I'm going to die. Even still, God's going to raise the dead. Think if we lived that way and prayed that way and had that kind of perspective. You see... Paul did everything he knew to do. He prayed. I'm sure Paul confessed the word. (laughs) He did all the things we're taught to do and way more. But his circumstances in Asia drove him to the point where, here's how I would say it. Lord, I'm in your hands. 
And y'all know that's the best place to ever get in your mind. And how many of you know, that's where you've always been. But it's the recognition. Lord, I'm in your hands. David says it this way in Psalm 31, 13 through 15. Y'all okay? He says, for I hear the whispering of many. Terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Verse 14. But I trust in you, O Lord. And I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. You know, I look at all the different verses in the Bible that I've stood on for years or many You know how many times I've quoted that? You know how many times I've stood on that verse? When I am depleted, when I am spent, after I've done all that I can do, sometimes you do all you can do, and instead of things getting better, they get worse. Do I have a witness? You pray for your mama to get delivered and healed of cancer, but instead of getting better, she gets worse. You pray for your loved one who's going through a marital crisis, You pray for them to get better in that relationship. Instead of getting better, they get what? They get worse. You counsel, I counsel, I counsel people. And and you think, okay, they're going to make it. They don't make it. I mean, think of all the scenarios that we walk through. Even, Even when we pray. Isn't that frustrating? That we pray and we got big faith, but still things don't always turn out the way that we want. Do you know how many times I've been there where, God, I've done everything you've told me to do and it's still not working out. Do you know where I go to? I go to Psalm 3115. I say it out loud in my house. Lord, I've done everything you've asked me to do as I can see it. But at the end of the day, here's my joy. Here's my delight. Here's my peace that my times are in your hand. Listen to me. Your marriage is in God's hand. Your life is in God's hand. Your life, your marriage is in God's hand. The safest place you'll ever be, that is spiritually. Oh, but it'll make you dangerous when you get that kind of faith. Why the pressure? Why the pain? Why the heartache? Why the heartbreak? Well, I can't give you all the reasons today. But I can say this, most fundamentally, to remind you of how fragile your life is and that your times are in God's hand. Because I draw close to God in times of pleasure. Go home later, sun's out, eat gumbo, scroll through social media. What's up, y'all? Go shoot my bow. I'm a great shot, y'all. like some of Jimmy Tate's Facebook quotes and some of y'all stuff, and I can go home this afternoon in times of pleasure and experience God. Aren't you glad we can do that? And I can thank Him and praise Him later, get in the Word, see what's coming next for my next sermon, and just enjoy God. But there's something about seasons of pain that drive me and press me in a special way to the presence of God. 
and it's in God's presence where I get perspective. It's in his presence where I get the power to overcome in my circumstances. Do I have a witness? That cancer, that pain, that divorce, the plight that you're going through is to drive you to the presence of God so you will stop relying on yourself but on God who raises the dead. Pastor Scott, what are you saying? A lot. And I know that this is heavy for some of y'all. But listen to what Paul says about your suffering and my suffering. And if you're not suffering right now, praise God. But you will be soon. Where else can you go but Midtown to hear that? As a, as a good shepherd, not like the good shepherd, but as your shepherd, my aim is to equip you for what's coming. And I hope y'all live to be 105. I pray God's prosperity on you. I'm not wishing you harm. I just know that we live in a jacked up, fallen world. And I know that dangerous faith places you on the front lines where the fighting is fiercest, where the devil, he's there and he's pushing back hard. And I know he's after blood. And I know I've got to prepare you because if I just talk about the sun being out all the time and just talk about your prosperity, when times of pain come, you'll lose your mind and possibly your faith. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Through 18. We're almost done. You all know what that means. Next to nothing. So, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. Don't you love that? Day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Boy, isn't that powerful? For this light, momentary affliction. It's just a little L-M-A. Baby, what is all this? Why this? Why that? Why the Baby, husband, say this to your wives. It's just a a little L-M-A. A little LMA, baby. A little light, momentary affliction. Verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are, what? Unseen. For the things that are seen, this. Those things are transient. Here today, gone tomorrow, passing away. But the things that are unseen are Eternal. Talking about perspective. Thank you, Paul. You say, well, Paul, okay, yeah, sure, in principle. That's awesome for, for the apostle. That's great. But you might, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I haven't. I'm, I mean, I haven't been shipwrecked or beat with a rod or stoned. At least not with stones, maybe with some grass, but not real stones. People think that way. Like, Paul got stoned. Some guy said, Paul got stoned. I'm like, it's not that type. But maybe you're here and you're like, 
I'm not, I haven't been through all that. I mean, I live in Acadiana, I live in Lafayette. I mean, it's just, I, I can't even compete with this. Listen to me. All of your suffering. In Christ, as a disciple, listen to me, listen to me. All of it. The heartache, the relational heartache, that chronic backache, the cancer, the calamity, and the 10,000 things that you face in this life in Christ, according to Paul, it's preparing something for you. Meaning it's not in vain. What you're going through right now, it has a purpose. It has a purpose. But see, you can't see the purpose because you're looking to things that are seen, but God's interested in the things that are unseen. You can't see it. If you could see it with your eyes, you'd have hope and you'd have faith. But that's Paul's point. We don't walk by what we see. We walk by the unseen by faith. One of our biggest problems is that we walk by sight instead of by faith. See, when you walk by faith, dangerous faith, when you're walking through cancer, when you're walking through divorce, when you're walking through affliction, you can't see the purpose with your eyes, these eyes, but you know with the eyes of faith, God is doing something in your life. It's not in vain. It has a purpose. It's preparing something for you. In particular, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Listen to me. That pain will not last forever. You feel like it when you're in it, but it will not last forever. God's put an expiration date on it. And so even now, when you're going through the pain, you can get up and praise because every season of pain has an expiration date on it. You can praise Him because you know this isn't over. God's going to have the final say in your life. And even if he doesn't heal your body, he's going to raise you from the dead. So Christians, let's live boldly. Even if the world kills you because of your obedience to the gospel, you win. Come on, am I preaching to the right church today? We win. Though you get stoned, though you get beat, though you get reviled, though you get blocked, berated, and canceled on Facebook, who cares because we're living for an audience of one. Count it all joy when you face trials and tribulations of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith develops steadfastness, and steadfastness must have its full effect in you so you can be complete and mature, not lacking a thing. Let that tribulation work in you, what God intended it to do in your life. The pain is temporary, but the promises of God are eternal. Therefore, we don't lose heart. After preaching in Derby, Paul and Barnabas did what only madmen would do. They returned to Lystra and preached a message that would be very unpopular today. Listen to what Luke tells us that happened. We'll be done with this. Acts 14, 21 through 28. When they had preached the gospel to that city, that is Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, 
encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, and here's the unpopular, unpopular part, that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Verse 24, then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Hetaleia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Verse 27 and verse 28 says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how that he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Now notice what Paul and Barnabas didn't say. They didn't say, we live in very dangerous times, so be careful. It's very dangerous out there. Be careful. No, no, no. They strengthened the soul, the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to remain faithful, not careful, faithful to Jesus. Listen to me, y'all. We live in very dangerous times. And it's going to get worse. I want to commend you today for your faith. But I want to encourage you right where you are to be faithful. Be faithful to Jesus. Husbands, look up here. Be faithful to your wife. Men, be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. How many of y'all know if you're faithful, you will be fruitful? If you're faithful, you just keep walking with God, believing God, not just believing in Him, but believing Him and responding in obedience. If you will remain in Him, He'll remain in you and you'll bear fruit and fruit that remains. Listen, church, keep on coming to church on Sunday. Keep on meeting together in small groups and discipleship groups. Keep on walking with the Lord. Be obedient to Him. And live out your faith in such a way that you wreak havoc on the kingdom of darkness. Get up every day, church, and be the devil's worst nightmare. Get up every day with faith and quote the word, pray the word, stand on the word, walk in love. But my God, come on, Midtown, we're going to advance the kingdom of God. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here in Midtown as it's done in heaven. Come on, church, let's advance the kingdom. Let's change the world for Jesus. Let's do it together. Yo, this is our finest hour. It's our finest hour. Come on. Come on, y'all. It's our finest hour. Don't you give up. Don't let that cancer pump you out. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Come on, Midtown. Give him praise today. Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Come on, don't stop. Give him praise today. Jesus, Jesus, Father, let your kingdom come. Stay on your feet. If you hear you say, Pastor Scott, I'm going through tribulation. I'm going through pain. I'm going through some mess and I need prayer right now. I want you to slip up your hand right now. Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God. Come on. 
We pray right now as a church, strengthen us, oh God. Strengthen us, oh God. Lord, we pray for your kingdom today. We pray for power today. Lord, we pray for the hurting today. We pray for everyone who's going through tribulation, or through pain and through misery. Lord, strengthen their souls. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would bring comfort to the afflicted. Lord, bring comfort to us right now. Bring comfort. Shake us, Lord. Break us, Lord. Break us for what breaks you, for what breaks your heart. Come on, let's just begin to pray. Come on, y'all. If we can't pray here, we will not pray out there. Let's begin to pray. Come on, lift your voices right now. Lord, we love you. Come on, just begin to tell him you love him today. Come on, begin to raise your voices, saints. Come on, Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord. Say it with me, your kingdom come. Say it with me, your will be done. Here in my life, as it is in heaven. Lord, thank you today for your power. You're here with us. You're present. You're preparing a, a, a bold bride. <laughs> a bride who knows who she is. Thank you, God. Come on, let's all lift our hands together like this. Come on, let's lift our hands. Come on, bold saints. I'm so proud of y'all. I'm talking about taking a beating with a message. Y'all got lashes all over your backs today. Was that a hard word? Come on, let's lift our hands and thank God for it. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word that cuts, that hurts, but at the end of the day, heals and delivers and sets us free. Come on, saints, lift your hands. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Lord, we love you today. God, we praise you today. Lord, I pray that we'd all leave today. Lord, with dangerous faith. Oh, I just, the Lord right now, He's stirring your hearts. I can see it in the Spirit. Hearts are being stirred. Lord, stir us. Move us. He's stirring hearts right now. My friend in the very back, Don, you came in wondering what's all this about. And the Lord has spoken to you and confirmed so many things in your life over the last five weeks. And it hasn't been revealed by flesh and blood. Don, it's been from the Father. And what God's given to you, no man can ever take from you. Lord, thank you for Don. Thank you for the evangelistic call of his life. Lord, I don't even know that much about him, but Lord, you know all, you know all things. And I pray that Lord, you confirm your word in his life in days to come. Lord, I pray for an evangelistic anointing. Lord, words that will never fall to the ground, but words that he'll speak that will set the captives free. Lord, I thank you for a yoke-breaking, curse-canceling ministry to flow out of him in the business world. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would give him the courage and the wherewithal Lord, to speak your word, to live your word. And Lord, all are going to come around and see not him, but you. God, you that give him the grace to be this transformed man of the living God. And so, Lord, I thank you for Mr. Don. Oh, and he gave gifts and distributed them across the body for the building up, for the body, for the common good. Lord, I pray for my friends here today. I just picture the Lord with a big sack 
It's just a vision. It's just what I'm saying. And he's just dumping out gifts. <laughs> like it's Christmas time. How many of y'all know we serve a good father? Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. And I can't lay hands on all y'all. Lord, stir us up. Holy Spirit of God. I pray for the gift of tongues and the interpretation thereof. I pray for strange tongues to be spoken in prayer. Edifying words, tongues to be spoken and interpreted in the body. I pray for words of knowledge. I pray for words of, of wisdom. I pray Jesus. Come on, y'all, we're not done. We got. I, I didn't preach that long. Come on, give me a few more minutes. Lord, I pray for gifts of healing. Come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. Lord, I pray you would anoint our hands, so to speak. Lord, I pray you would, you would empower us. Lord, it's not about us, it's you. Empower us. And we're going to be a good steward of the power. We're going to go forth and to bring glory to you. But Lord, Lord, anoint us. Send us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Lord, right now, I, I, oh, y'all, I, we're so close to this. As a church, we're right here. I can just taste it. I can just almost get my hands around it, but we're not there. Come on, press in, press in. Lord, right now, we're hungry for you, God. Sin revival, God. Sin revival, God. Lord, break down our idols. Crash them to the ground. Show us the futility of them. Lord, I pray today for, for, for power. Y'all, we're so close. We're so close to revival. I can almost taste it. Young people, you're going to prophesy. You're going to prophesy. CJ, students, raise your, raise your hands. Students, all of y'all, right now. Everybody put your hands down. Y'all put your hands up. The next generation of warriors for Jesus right here. Come on, put both hands up. Direct your hands toward them right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, deliver our young people from evil. Deliver them, oh God. Set them free, Lord. God, I'm praying today for divine protection, yes, as they carry out your will in this world. Protect them. Here's my prayer, Lord. Protect them spiritually. Keep them from the lies of this present evil, dark world. Lord, I pray for a hunger for the Word of God in these incredible students. Oh, God, we love you. For disciple-making machines to be produced in student ministries. Thank you for CJ and Aaliyah, their hearts. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what y'all are doing at 14, 
but I sure wasn't making disciples. I don't know what y'all were doing at 15, but I certainly wasn't praising the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for students who love the Lord. Thank you, God. And so, God, we thank you. I could go on and on, but Lord, you know what we need to do. You're going to give us the power to do it. So, Lord, we love you today. Our great risen Savior, we are so proud to call you our God. We love you today. We give you, God, all the praise in the name of the Father, the Son, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit, and all God's people say one more time. Come on, everybody. Give him praise today. Let him know how thankful you are for him.